Well, what a joy it is to be with you here this morning, uh, worshiping and just seeing all the amazing things that God has done for us, rehearsing those things, because we need to do that. You know, God doesn't need our worship. We need to worship. And so we're so thankful that he brings us faithfully, and he's here faithfully to be with us. So want to uh, give you the sermon text here. It's Philippians 3, verses 4 through 8. I've entitled it, Jesus, the Pearl of Great Price. You know, in his parable, the Pearl of Great Price in Matthew 13, 45 through 46, which we read earlier, it's one of the shortest parables in, you know, all of the Bible. It's only two verses. And so it tells us that Jesus um, described a businessman leaving his house in search of fine pearls. And so he went out searching and searching until he found the pearl of pearls, the pearl that was the perfect pearl, the most beautiful and perfect pearl he'd ever seen. And his heart was just gripped in the fact that he desired to own it and to have it for his own. And so he eagerly asked, how much did it cost? And he was told it would cost him everything he owned. Whoa, everything. Everything he owned, that's what it would cost him. So that means that it would cost him his house, all his belongings, his checking account, his savings account, his business if he owned one. All of that would be part of the purchase price. So after weighing the cost of not owning a home, having to give up his business and his belongings, he decided having that pearl was worth much more to him than everything else he owned. And so he sold everything and bought the pearl. In this parable, of course, Jesus is the great pearl. Jesus is the one who's worth everything. And so he's trying to communicate to those who are listening that possessing a a personal relationship with him was more important than anything else a person can have. Is that the way you feel about that this morning? Is Jesus that precious to you? Do you hunger for Jesus? Are you willing to give everything up for Jesus? At another time, a rich young ruler came to Jesus. who said he had perfectly obeyed the law. What else do I have to do? So Jesus challenged him. Go sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. Then come follow me. And he was just distraught. This rich young ruler couldn't bring himself to sell all his possessions and follow Christ. So he did not gain the pearl of great price. He did not gain Jesus' eternal life and the treasures of heaven. Paul is a good example of this parable. He was a very religious young man, hungry for the things of God, an avid student of the scriptures, and willing to go to great lengths to obey them. But when he finally beheld the pearl of great price on the Damascus road, he immediately gave up everything. He gave up everything to gain Jesus. 
All his earthly religious efforts at self-righteousness and personal glory, he counted as rubbish compared to gaining Jesus and eternal life. We need to ask ourselves this morning, are we willing to give up ownership of everything in this world in order to gain Jesus? What worldly things, like the rich young ruler had, are we worshiping more than Jesus? What do you desire more than Jesus? You see, we're all still growing and maturing in Christ, and we all have things that we still grab hold of. Sometimes we call them idols, or there's things we're holding on to. So my hope is that this morning that God will help you and me, because I do it too, to see more of those things that are gripping our hearts more than Jesus is gripping our hearts. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Philippians 3, 4 through 8. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word this morning, and we thank you for the presence and the power of your spirit that lives within every believer here. And we thank you that your spirit illumines our hearts with this word. So help us to hear what you want to speak to us this morning, each one hearing the things that they need to hear. And we praise you for that. We thank you for bringing us here in your midst and for working in us. We thank you for Christ-likeness that is growing because you're the one that causes us to work and to will according to your good pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen. So what were some of the specific gains and losses that Paul was talking about when he joyfully sold everything in order to gain Jesus? Well, first, he joyfully stopped practicing Judaism. Paul had loved the religion of Judaism. He'd worked hard and advanced far in that religion. He'd loved the ritualism and the ceremony of the temple, the sacrifices of sin on Passover. But when he met Jesus, the pearl of great price, he joyfully gave up the religion of Judaism. All aspects of the ceremonial law and earning his own salvation through works were now obsolete in his thinking. That wasn't the path forward. It was a covenant of grace that he was walking in now. Paul joyfully received new life in Christ. He was a new creature. This is amazing what God had done. And he shared that Jesus had earned all these things for him with all he could talk to. All the things, these amazing things that, God, that Jesus had done for him. 
So he rejoiced in these things. And he's even rejoicing now, as we know, he's in a prison. So when he's writing these things, it's not like he's in comfortable circumstances. He might die at any time. He's not sure. And yet he's rejoicing in these great things that he's received in his future. He joyfully shared in all that Jesus had earned for him. Jesus himself was now his Lord, his King, his priest, and his prophet. He was now in union with the Son of God. He was in Christ, part of the body of Christ, a child of God. All these things received by grace, just like we have here this morning. That's why he was rejoicing. It doesn't matter his physical circumstances. It matters his relationship with Jesus, the pearl of great price. And he joyfully walked in the covenant of grace with Jesus, sharing in all that Jesus had inherited. Wow. So as Paul let go of the things of this world, he got a greater inheritance. Second, Paul joyfully gave up his high pedigree and ethnic background. Many people today are very interested in their genealogy and their ancestors. It's quite popular these days. You can go on websites and things and search out who they are, where they were, where they came from. Well, that was true in Paul's time as well. In fact, the New Testament opens up. It starts with a genealogy in Matthew. Within the Jewish community, pedigree and ethnic purity was of high value. It's how you're better than somebody else. The purest Jews were those who were not tainted with Gentile blood. Paul had been very proud of his Jewish ancestry and ethnic purity and had much to boast about. He had been circumcised on the eighth day. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Both his mother and father were Hebrews and true descendants of Abraham. No Gentile blood flowed through his veins. His pedigree flowed through King Saul, the first king of Israel, who was also a Benjamite like Paul was. And his veins flowed the blood of Moses, who spoke to God face to face, and of Joshua, who saw the sun stand still. Paul had a lot of things to be proud of. Paul joyfully gave up his Hebrew pedigree and ethnic background, however, in order to gain the name of Christ and become a child of God. Compared to Jesus' pedigree as the Son of God, Paul's pedigree just paled in comparison. It was hardly anything to brag about. Jesus' name was the name above all names. Paul joyfully received God as his Father and joyfully took on the name Christian, just like we have. Paul rejoiced in becoming the apostle to the Gentiles for Jesus because Jesus called him to do that. Paul was fulfilling God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12:3 that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Paul was reaching the Gentile nations for Jesus and fulfilling the promise that God had made to Abraham. Wow. This is for somebody who is caught and who's going to destroy the church in Damascus. You wouldn't think that would be reasonable, would you? You'd pick somebody else. But this is who God picked, Paul, and that's why he's rejoicing. He knew how undeserving he was. Third, Paul joyfully gave up his high standing and reputation of being a Pharisee. 
Paul was very proud of being a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was striving to be the number one Pharisee if he could gain that. Those were the ones who maintained the law and had the reputation of being morally superior to everybody else. Wow. And of course, they were pretty rich too. <laughs> Paul coveted being a Pharisee of Pharisees. That's what drove him before he met Jesus, to be the best of the best, to be morally superior than everybody else. He was a Pharisee and a son of a Pharisee. He had traveled to Jerusalem to gain his Pharisee PhD in Judaism. As he studied under Gamaliel, who was one of the all-time greatest teachers in Judaism. It's like going to Stanford or Harvard or someplace like that, MIT. He went to study there and become the best of the best. Gamaliel was one of the leading teachers of all time in Judaism, and he served on the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling council there in Jerusalem. Paul took great pride studying under him. And he gained a reputation, a great reputation amongst the Jewish leaders. In his eyes, he was succeeding. And of course, the reason he was going to Damascus was to further his own desires, to bring more glory to himself. Because one of the best things you could do was persecute the Christians. So that's what he was doing, destroying Christ's church. But now he'd been changed. Having been given a new heart and new desires by the Lord, now he was joyfully planting and building churches by proclaiming the gospel. He joyfully gave up his high standing and personal glory as a Pharisee in order to proclaim the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. He joyfully and humbly served Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He sought to be like him. And because of that, he wanted to be the servant of all. Just like us, that's what we should be striving to do. Rather than get the glory, we should be giving Jesus the glory. Instead of ruling, we need to be serving. He no longer coveted personal fame, but lived to bring glory to Jesus' name. Wow. That's challenging for us, isn't it? I mean, every day when we get up, when we go out into the world, then the purposes that God has for us is to glorify Christ and to enjoy Him forever, right? Bring glory to His name in every relationship that we encounter for that day. For every deed that we do, we do it in Jesus' name. Fourth, Paul joyfully gave up his right to judge his own righteousness. Paul had been very self-righteous as a Pharisee, but as he was rejoicing in his own self-righteousness on the way to persecute the church in Damascus, Jesus interceded. The height of his pride, that's when Jesus met him. And Paul came face to face with his own guilt and his own shame. If you will, he was caught with his hand in the cookie jar. 
There's no denying it. And Jesus looked at him. He didn't condemn him. Isn't that amazing? How quickly do we condemn people? That shouldn't be part of our walk every day. We can discern, but we shouldn't judge and condemn. Because there might be another Paul out there that you're meeting. Might be somebody that Jesus is bringing to your attention that you're to share the gospel with them. And these are hard things to do because we want justice, don't we? <laughs> we all do. We need to understand what it means to bring glory to Jesus' name. And so Paul had nowhere to hide. It's very similar to when John you know, meets Jesus in Revelation. And he falls flat on his face and starts declaring how sinful he was. So the same thing is happening here. Paul is unquestioned guilty, and he knows it. So that means that everything he's been striving to gain, everything that he was living for, his pride and self-glory and the way he was trying to earn his own righteousness was gone. All he knew right then is he deserved death. He deserved death. And this is why Jesus, many, many times in the Gospels, when he sees this, you know, the, the different ones that are around him, something like this happens, he'll say, fear not. That's what he says to you this morning, to me. Fear not. He knows you're down sitting, you're uprising. He knows that your sins are, are there. Every single day, he knows you sin, and I sin. But he says, fear not, for I am with you. And I'll change your heart. And only God knows how to change the desires of our heart. And so we rejoice in that. We praise God for that. So everything he'd been working for is now worthless. And that's why he says he counts it as rubbish, right? So he was now coming to the end of saving himself as he'd met the pearl of great price. Who saved him? By grace. By grace alone. And so we see in the truth of Psalms both 14 and 53, which Paul writes about in Revelation, excuse me, in Romans 3, verses 12 through 14, 10 through 12, excuse me, that truth was driven home like a spike in his heart. This is what it says. So we see it's repeated in the Psalms. That means it's really important, right? And Paul's quoting it now in the New Testament. He says, none is righteous. No, not one, Paul. Not even you. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Wow. Paul really took that to heart. He said, yeah, that's me. I'm not righteous. But Paul suddenly knew the truth about himself. He could not earn his own righteousness. It was impossible for him to earn his own righteousness. So he was spiritually naked and utterly guilty before Jesus. And so he turned to Christ for forgiveness. And he began to follow Christ. 
And he began to get an understanding of the gift of Jesus' righteousness, not his own. Jesus gave him something that he could not gain on his own. The love of Christ filled his soul, flooded his soul, just wave over wave coming over him. Just how much he was loved and forgiven. Don't we all want to sense that and, and experience that? Especially when we're guilty and we've been caught. He tasted Jesus' undeserved forgiveness and received the gift of Jesus' righteousness. Wow. And he didn't deserve any of it. There was no question in his head, in his mind, in his heart. Paul was humbled and knew for the first time that he could not save himself. But you see, our sin nature thinks that we can. Yours and mine. We still try to do that in a variety of ways. My wife is the one who informs me more than anybody else of that fact. <laughs> she understands my pride. She understands that I need to know the truth about certain maybe blind spots that are in me. Or maybe some things that aren't so blind that I'm sinning in anyway. And I praise God for her for that. He received the good news that he was an undeserving sinner who was saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, just like all of us. Jesus is the pearl of great price for us. Today, we have to be careful that we're not subtly trying to save ourselves. It's so easy. We aren't thinking, oh, I'm going to save myself, because we know better. But it creeps in kind of edges in through the back door where we're not watching. It can be a dangerous poison when we start looking for our own self-righteousness because as Christians, we can be tempted to believe that our salvation is tied to church attendance, prayer, evangelism, reading the Bible, tithing, all kinds of different things that are good. They're all good. But somehow we take that a step farther and we start thinking, you know, I tithe every week, but, you know, Sister Susie over here doesn't. Right? It's that type of thing. I read my Bible more than you do. You're missing days of reading your Bible, but I never do. Sort of goes like that. It's a very dangerous place to be because we can't, we can't earn our own salvation. And just like Paul, Martin Luther also struggled with self-righteousness. Allow me to read one of his biographies. It's just a short section here. I won't go on and on. Luther entered the Augustinian order of Erfurt. He prayed eight times a day, slept little, and performed painful self-infliction for his sins. He was attempting to love God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. Yet he miserably bound, was bound by the law. Luther was known for confessing his sin so often that he would stay up all night and the priests would grow weary. Whenever Luther showed up, they would exclaim, Oh no, Luther's here. We're going to have to stay up all night now. It wasn't until Luther meditated on Romans 3.20 that he finally understood what God desired from him. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. 
for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Finally, Luther came to the brink of his own self-righteousness. He gave up his works-based religion and asked for justification by faith alone and Christ alone. Our salvation and our justification are based solely on the works of Jesus and only Jesus. We cannot save ourselves. If you're here this morning and you think you could save yourself, you probably are not a Christian. I invite you to talk to me or someone else after the, after the service and talk about that. We'd love to talk to you about that. Only Jesus is the pearl of great price, the one we long for because of all that he's done for us. So what have you given up in order to gain Jesus? I know I'm starting to meddle a little bit right now. <laughs> we don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about other people. <laughs> what have you not given up? First, have you given up trying to save yourself? Are you here this morning to worship and praise Jesus with all your heart for all that he's done for you? Do you see that you're here because you need to worship him? Because so quickly we forget the things that he's done and so quickly we start desiring the things of the world. This is why it's every seven days that he asks us to come together, just like what Sam was saying. Or you're here because you think God will, upset, will be upset with you if you're not here. Whoa. Are you worshiping Jesus, praising him for all the great things he's done for you this morning? Are you rehearsing those things? Are you thinking about those things? I know sometimes you've got kids in the car and you're coming to church. It's <laughs> hard to focus. But we all need to prepare our hearts before we come here. Whether it's Saturday night or whether it's Sunday morning, take some time. And rehearse the great things that God has done for you. And so when you come through the door here, you'll be rejoicing in what God has done, regardless of your circumstances. Your future is secure. Gracious Jesus is in your midst. And children, are you here because your parents said you have to be here? Probably. <laughs> Are you here because you want to worship Jesus? That's something that maybe mom and dad can talk about with you at home. What does that mean? Do we all understand our need to confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and to believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead? Only Jesus saves us. He alone is the pearl of great price. Secondly, in your heart, have you given up trying to gain the world and its rewards? I'm not saying you shouldn't work hard at work and be a good witness in your workplace and look forward to you know, increases in pay and all those types of things. That's, that's good. But are you willing to give everything up for Jesus? 
doesn't say God's going to make you do it. That's certainly what all the apostles did. Are you willing to give everything up? Like Jesus challenged the rich young ruler and follow Christ. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to sell everything for Jesus? If Jesus asked you to sell your house and move into the inner city with your family, are you willing to do that? You see, more and more of, of, the, of the population of this country is moving to the cities. And the cities are very hard places to live, but that's where the gospel has got to go. More and more. Somebody's got to move in there and do it. What happens if it's you that God calls to do it? Are you willing to do that? If Jesus asked you to take a lower position at work because it's going to rob time from your family, take a lower amount of pay, are you willing to do that so you can serve your family? Bless your family with your presence. Are you seeking to please and trust Jesus first in the workplace, at home, and in your neighborhoods? Are you willing to sell all that you have and give it to the poor and follow Christ, just like Jesus challenged that rich young ruler? Well, I want to ask you, why is it you're not willing? Search your own heart. Before you think about how great you are, because you're here, <laughs> which you are, glad you're here. What's the reason you're not willing to sell? In order to serve Jesus, he might call you to do a number of different things. Are you willing to do that? When it costs you, do you trust that he will provide for you if he asks you to do it? I'm not saying you should just do it on your own, walk out of here this afternoon and sell everything. We're not saying that. But if he calls you to do that, if you're clear about that, then what's stopping you? Thirdly, have you given up the right to judge your own righteousness? Do you think you're a good person? I'm a good person, right? Most of the country thinks they're a good person. And we sin occasionally. And a lot of people believe that their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds. Therefore, they're going to heaven. That's not the way it works. If you're thinking that, you may not be a Christian. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not a balance of good deeds versus bad deeds. If you're a Christian, then you have Jesus' deeds. And you receive Jesus' deeds. He is your righteousness. And that's the only reason you're going to get through the doors of heaven. Do you see Jesus as your pearl, pearl of great price? Are you willing to give up everything in order to gain Christ? 
It changes everything when you are. Your daily walk changes. And as you see more and more of what's holding you back, then you're going to see a great work of the Spirit in you, changing the desires of your heart so that you more and more want to work what Christ wants you to do. Do you see him standing ready to give you himself? The new heart, if you are a believer, that you've already received. Do you see that you've received the Holy Spirit to live within you? Do you see that you have eternal life, you have his righteousness, and you have the true riches of heavenly inheritance? There's not any true loss when you give everything up. There's only great gain. You know, when I, before I was a Christian, when I was in my 30s, excuse me, 20s, my uh, focus in life was I wanted to be a millionaire by the time I was 30. <laughs> what can I tell you? <laughs> a lot of people did in those days. But anyway, that was my focus and my desire. And I didn't make it. I did okay. I didn't make it. But when I hit 30, I became a Christian. And all of a sudden, I realized that God had honored my request. Because now, I'm a gazillionaire. Because I share in all that Christ has received. All the riches of heaven. Isn't that amazing? I mean, and I just began to thank God. My heart was bursting with thankfulness for all these things that I had gained in Christ. Only great gain with Christ. Romans 10 verses 12 through 13 says, the same Lord Jesus is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Wow. Everyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. If you've not done that and you're here this morning, I want to encourage you to do so. And if you feel uncomfortable about that, I want you to talk with somebody after the service and find out maybe some more information, some more details before you're ready. But if God is moving your heart this morning towards receiving Christ as your Lord and your Savior and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that means the Spirit of God is working in you, and He wants you. He wants to embrace you and love you and save you. Paul said in verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Jesus saves. Jesus is alone saves. He is the pearl of great price. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the presence and power of your spirit working in us. Thank you, Lord. We praise you and thank you for all these amazing things you've done. And you continue to work in us as we grow and mature in Christ's likeness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.